All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Hope you're having a great day. Just a quick survey, team. Team Sweet. Anyone? Team Sweet. Team Savory. Yes, everyone here uh, that's Team Savory took note that on July 21st, we're going to be having nachos at church. I love this place. I'm very excited about that. Hey, uh, my name is, is Adam. I'm the community life pastor here, and um, I get to open scripture with you today. And totally excited to be here, just be worshiping. Um, if you haven't heard it already, you're welcomed. We're so glad that you're here. Um, we've been in a teaching series called The Story since the beginning of the year, and uh, it's working in tandem with the reading plan that we started. And the talks on the weekend are coming from the previous week's reading material. And uh, so last week, we, um, we camped out in Psalms, on Psalms 51 and 52. Uh, Becky Josberger did a, just a great job bringing some new light to those. And this week, we're going to be moving into the book of Romans. Uh, it's the sixth book in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there with me. If you forgot your Bible, no problem. There's some on the shelves in the wings, and um, you could probably figure out even how to put it on your phone, I bet. Uh, but we're going to be in the, the book of Romans on chapter 8. And just to give you a little background, because this is our, our first week in Romans, um, Romans is written by a, uh, a man named Paul who has an incredible story. Um, in the previous book, Acts, we read about his radical conversion. He was someone that wasn't just neutral about Jesus. He was actively persecuting the church of Jesus and overseeing Christians being put to death has this radical transformational moment, does a 180, and now is a Jesus follower, and spends the rest of his life helping start and establish uh, and manage new churches. And one of the ways that he does this is by writing letters to these churches. And so this book of Romans that we have is a letter written to the church in Rome. And it's, it's a great letter. I, I, I love the book of Romans, and it's often been called a, um, a theological masterpiece. Uh, Because Paul, within the book of Romans, especially the first eight chapters, he gives us this encapsulated picture of of a God who creates everything, his creation, humanity, uh, the the fall and depravity of humanity, God's plan of salvation for that. And he puts it all together in this this theological masterpiece. And and it's important for us to really dive into it, even though the idea of, of theology might be a little intimidating for some of us. Theology is really just words that describe God. They're the words that you and I have that describe God. And and stepping into this theology actually gives us access to who God is. And and if you've been reading this last week, you've probably read a a, a few of the the really well-known verses that come from here, um, like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, kind of bringing light to this this, this reality of the human condition that because of our brokenness, because of our sin, because of our mistakes, we're other than God. We're, we're, we're separated from God. And, and then in Romans 6, 23, the, the, the consequence of that sin and separation is, is death. And yet, God has a plan. God has a plan of redemption expressed in the gospel message of his son going to the cross. And so we're going to sit with this story today. Um, we're in, in Romans 8, uh, starting in verse 12. And uh, this, just personally for me, this is a, a scripture that has really shaped um, and reshaped and reshaped the way that I see God. Um, it's one of the first passages that I ever memorized, and, it, and it's powerful, and I, I hope the same is true for you today. But let's start in verse 12. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, 
but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We already see this stark contrast between life and death, the flesh and the, the, the life of the Spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This beautiful picture that Paul gives us. Now, there's a theme throughout Scripture, throughout this entire Bible, of God calling people his own of God going to a, a group of people or a nation of people and calling them his own and asking them to follow him and to live distinctly different. We see the beginning of this in, in Genesis 12. We hit this earlier in the year in the winter when God came to Abraham and, and, and made a covenant, made a promise with him to say, Abraham, you're, you're going to father a great nation and this nation is, is, is going to be my people. You're going to be distinct. You're going to be different. And this nation will be of my possession. And, and we can draw a line from Abraham all the way to Jesus, the lineage that leads all the way to Jesus, and, and how that promise was fully realized in the life of Jesus. Because after Jesus arose from the dead, this, this promise, this covenant wasn't just for the nation of Israel. Now, everyone, everyone has the opportunity to be grafted in. And so how does how does Paul explain this? What's the word that he captures to talk about how we're grafted into being part of God's family? And it's this word, adoption. Beautiful, powerful, meaningful, transformational adoption. This is God's plan for the rest of humanity. This invitation through the work of Jesus into adoption into his family. I, I love adoption stories. This, this last year, um, I've gotten to uh, have a front row seat to just this beautiful story that has happened. Um, my, my sister-in-law, Dana's sister, and her husband, the Bradleys, they, they live in Phoenix, um, Jesus followers, and here probably about four or five years ago, they felt Jesus leading and asking them to open up their home to be foster parents. Um, Phoenix, the, the Phoenix metro, not too different than our city, is overwhelmed with children who are unhoused who do not have parents, do not have people who are caring for them and loving for them and are needing homes. And, and the Bradleys felt Jesus asking them to help respond to this, this crisis in their city. And so they opened up their home and, and began to have these foster children. And, and I think that they've had five or six um, in total. Uh, some of them have stayed for years, some of them shorter. Um, I think they've had as many as three at once. And, and it's just been this great story for us to watch from afar. But but there was a new, uh, a new child, a new baby who came into their lives this last year named Jack. And uh, Jack's story was, was, was unique and, and, and kind of a hard story. Um, Jack was, was born addicted to drugs, born to a, a mother addicted to drugs, and um, kind of set up for a, for a devastating life ahead of him. And 
he found, uh, he was in their home as a foster child, and it became clear that, that mom was not rehabilitating and, and that Jack was going to thrive in this loving home. And so the decision was made to adopt him. And, and I got a, a photo of this. Yes, that's baby Jack. That's the Bradley family. The guy in the bottom right, he is not the Bradley family. <laughs> he, he comes in here in a minute. Um, but this is the day. This is the courtroom. Um, this is the day that, that really changed Jack's life. Now, now nothing different happened on, on this day specifically. I, I bet you Jack's just thinking about lunch in this photo right now. Um, nothing radically shifted or radically changed, but, but what happened on this day is this, this man on the bottom right, this judge with his authority said, you are now a part of this family. And the implications of that are massive, right? I mean, maybe nothing changed on this day, but the implications of what kind of life he will have, of who he'll become, of people who will love him and give him affection and protection, people who will graft him in to be part of who they are, to share in their culture, to share in the story. This was a significant day, this picture of adoption. This is what we see in Romans 8, that there's an authority that there's a voice who says we get to be a part of a different family, that we get to be adopted in, and as sons and daughters, our future, our destiny, our lives get radically shifted. Their trajectory just completely changes. This is the picture of adoption. As we, as we walk through this text, through Romans 8, these few verses, we're going to walk through them again a little more slowly. I, I, I'm really hoping that, that you glean a couple of things. One, that, that you glean uh, the implications of adoption. Just like I said for Jack, this wasn't a massive shift in that day, but the implications of what kind of life he's now going to get to live is radically different. There's implications to the reality that God has adopted us as sons and daughters, and to hear those this morning and to glean those. Secondly, to glean a clear picture of God's character and his posture towards us. And I think it's, it's easier and more accessible to understand God as powerful, as a deity, as someone who created and sustains everything, but, but this passage gives us access to him in a different way in a more intimate way. And this is a passage that has completely shaped the way that I see God and that I interact with God. So let's walk, let's walk through these words again of this text, starting in verse 14. It says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are, are, are his children. Now the way we could say this is, is that God is leading and guiding his. He's leading and guiding those he has adopted. That this isn't a transactional situation, but we receive relationship expressed as presence and expressed as his leading in our lives. You know, a moment ago I referenced um, Abraham's story in, in Genesis 12, and, and, and that promise was that, that you come and be my people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And, and, and from that point on, they were distinct because God led them. They had 
ways that they operated, ways that they treated each other, ways that they treated the poor, ways that they worshiped, and, and things that they abstained from that made them distinct and different because they were now in God's family. They were now adopted by God, and he led them, and he guided them. If you've been in the reading plan this year, there's all these amazing and wild stories of, of angels that show up. Um, God used a donkey to talk to someone. He was present with them. And, and in fact, I, I grabbed this one out of the middle of Exodus. This is a, a, a story of, of God's people. They're in the wilderness. They had just gone through the Red Sea. And, and these are the same people that God made this covenant with Abraham. This is his descendants. And, and look at how God leads them. It says, by day, this group that's in the wilderness, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, uh, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What? Can you even imagine that? In the day, they're in this desert place, and, and God just causes this cloud to bring uh, shelter and shade and, and, and to guide them where they're going. And then by night, a pillar of fire? What? That, that's what's going to guide them? That's what's going to lead them? That's, that's how they're being his distinct people? I, I can't even imagine what this would look like, but I am totally open to it. <laughs> Not so much the cloud part. We got that box checked, God. But if you want to bring a pillar of fire that I just follow around... That would be pretty amazing. God leads his people. God leads his adopted. He leads you and I. Think about how, how are some of the ways that God, God's voice is present in your life? Some of the ways that you can look and in a concrete way say, yes, this is how God is leading me. I think one of the clearest and most obvious is, is this, the story, right? These words, these stories, these people that God has chosen for us to know, he's given us so that we will know him. And then when when I journey through this book, I get a clearer and clearer picture of who God is. In fact, with this reading plan um, that, we, that we rolled out this year, we've rolled it out with a tool called SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And it's, it's a tool or a way of harnessing as I'm reading this book. Maybe there's a, a, a verse or a, a, a section or maybe just a word that as I read it, I can feel it coming alive and God has something to say to me. I want to capture it. God speaks to us and leads us through this word. He leads us through, through community. As we spend time with one another, developing not, not just surfacy on the top friendships, but deep levels of relationship and honesty and trust with one another, God's will is made known. God communicates through his community people who are willing to speak the truth and love, people who are, who are, who are godly and have wisdom to contribute. And God also speaks through his presence. This, this might be one we don't think about as much, but one of the most unique things about our faith, about, about people who believe in Jesus, is, is that we have a God. A lot of religions have gods, and, and we believe our God is powerful. That's, that's not terribly original. But, but the thing that makes our story amazing is that our God is powerful and above all and sustains all and he's the creator and he has all those things and yet he chooses to dwell inside us. That's what this text tells us, that, that his spirit dwells within us. And because that's a truth, because that's a reality, he leads us, his presence within us leads us. N.T. Wright says it like this, 
N.T. Wright is a, uh, a theologian, and, and he's written this. Um, this is a delicate matter to describe. It is, however, a common Christian experience that while many of, of, of the thoughts in our minds seem to come from ordinary flow of consciousness within us, sometimes we find other thoughts which seem to come from somewhere else, hinting gently but powerfully at God's love, at our calling to holiness, at particular tasks to which we must give energy and attention. A key part of Christian discipleship is to recognize the voice and to nature the facility of listening to it. It is, or well maybe, the voice of God's own spirit. N.T. Wright says, if God is living within us, are we hearing his voice and his leading? In fact, a key part of being a Jesus follower, being his disciples, is becoming more and more attuned to that voice. Jesus says in, in, in John 10, giving an analogy of himself, he says, I, I am the great shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You are my sheep. My sheep know my voice. They hear other voices, but they don't follow other voices. My sheep follow my voice. When we're adopted into God's family, he resides within us, and he leads us to his presence. He leads our daily living. He leads the season that we go through. He leads when things are going well and where things are difficult. He leads through every emotion that we have. He leads even when we're failing. He is present, and he leads our text continues in, in verse 15. It says, The spirit you received, talking about God's Holy Spirit, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So he's making it clear here, this, the spirit you received isn't meant to enslave you. That's not what this kingdom is about. Now, we have to remember, he's, He's writing to, to these Romans in Rome, um, probably about 80-ish years into the establishment of the Roman Empire that lasted some 350-plus years. This was kind of at the peak of its growing and expanding. This empire, led by the Caesar, that was going to all different places and conquering with strength, with might, through bloodshed, through war, going, toppling over other governors, uh, governances, establishing their law, taxation. Th this is the setting in which this is happening, and yet simultaneously to this Roman Empire spreading all over is another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And these two kingdoms are very different. This kingdom that, that, that Caesar has, it's spread by bloodshed and by war and by fighting, and, and, and this kingdom, the kingdom of God, is also spilt or spread by bloodshed, but it's, it's the bloodshed of sacrifice of Jesus and of his saints and, and, and of the martyrs. And this kingdom is held together by authoritarian fear that if you don't, if you don't uh, behave, if you don't listen, you can be imprisoned, you can be put to death, you can be exiled. This kingdom is the invitation of a father. And as we're adopted into that family, into that kingdom, his spirit resides within us and through him, through that spirit, we get to cry, Abba, Father. This phrase is, is a very intimate phrase. 
I, I can imagine being before a king or being before a dignitary or, or being before someone who's just really powerful, the, the kind of posture and composure that we might felt led into, that, that I want to be humble and quiet and I want to be very aware of how, how I'm presenting myself and be very conscious of those things. And, and yet, when my five-year-old runs up, puts her arms up and says, hold me, Dada, there's no formality to that whatsoever. That's the picture we're given to, to access our Father. That's the language we're given to access God. That's the stakes, the relational stakes that he's willing to put out there. I'm going to put my spirit in you. You're going to be my family. You can call me Abba Father. You can call me Dad. This is the picture that's being painted for us, this absolute sense of complete belonging. That we're not on the outside looking in, that we're not half in, half out, that we're not in with an asterisk because of, of this thing that happened or that thing that happened, that, that we are completely in. 100% adoption has moved you into the family of God, this work of God's spirit within us. Ephesians 1, it, it gives a different light to it. It says this, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It says that, that God has put his spirit in us as a guarantee, as this seal that we're marked that there is complete, complete belonging. He uses this word sonship. I think about the, the story of, of Jack and the picture I had just shown you a few minutes ago. Um, Jack is adopted into this family. That doesn't make him a second-class son, right? There's not like, well, we have our biological kids and then a step down or two, we have, we have this other. No, he's, he's part of the family, Complete belonging. He's going to take on the name. He's going to take on the culture. He's going to take on their story. He is part of this family. There's no differentiation. This is what Paul is trying to drive home to these Romans, to these people who probably feel on the outside, who have been conquered and know what it means to conquer and know what it means to serve someone out of fear. This is what he wants them to hear. You're adopted into a family and this father puts his spirit within you. He goes further in verse 16 and says that this spirit, this Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the statement that I make that I am, I am a son of God, that's not just my words. It's the Holy Spirit within me reverberating and echoing and testifying with me those words using his power. We are... Uh, saw this last week a preview, a trailer for the new Lion King movie. Can you guys see that? I cannot wait to take my kids so that they can have a wrecked childhood like mine when Mufasa dies. Spoiler alert. I love that movie. Can't wait to go see it. Um, and as I was reading about this, there's a scene from this movie that I really hope makes the new movie um, that, that I, I just think captures this so well. Such a great picture. Um, and it's a scene where, uh, where Simba, who's the prince, he's the up-and-coming the king's son, um, he, he's still young, but, but he, he, he kind of has some attitude and kind of thinks he's a big deal, and, 
And, and his dad tells him, the king, hey, you can go to all this land. This is all our land. The place you can't go is, is over here in the Shadowlands. That's, that's not ours. We don't go there. And, and so what does this guy do? He's rebellious. He's got all these things to prove. So he goes to the Shadowlands to prove how brave he is. And the reason he can't go there is because it's not safe. So he goes to the Shadowlands, and, and who's there? The hyenas. If you've not seen Lion King, hyenas are bad guys. And, and he's there, and these hyenas come, and they recognize him. They're going to attack him. And so he musters all his might, and he growls at them. But he's a cub, so it's more like a purr, like a meow. And it's not very ter- intimidating, not very terrifying to them. And, and so they begin to move in, and they're laughing at him. And he figures, I'm going to try this roar thing again. It works for my dad. And he, he roars again, and this time, there's this massive, bellowing roar that comes out. And the hyenas scatter. They're terrified. And, 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 and the angle changes, and you see it's, it's his dad behind him. His dad behind him testifying with what he's trying to say. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But my, my authority doesn't mean too much. When I deem myself whole, if I deem myself uh, redeemed, my authority is limited. My, my hope is limited. And yet, when I am hopeless, the Holy Spirit testifies with me that I am a son of God. When I feel broken, when I feel guilty, when, I, when, I, when I've made a mess of things, it's God's spirit within me that testifies and says, you are still a son of God. And by me, he's your dad. He's your Abba, Father. This is God's spirit working within us, testifying within us that we are God's children. In this last verse in 17, now, if we are children... If all this is true, we've established it. By God's Holy Spirit, he's, he is testifying with, with this, that, that, that through the adoption, we become his sons, his spirit is living within us. If this is all true, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. If this is all true, if this adoption is true, if God's going to put his spirit within us that testifies with us, that gives us access to this father, if that's all true, then, then we have this new identity. We're, we're, we're part of something different. What was is gone, and the new has come. There's a new identity. David Guzik, writing about... Um, Roman adoption and some of the implications about it. And, and, and he says this, under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changes completely. Radical. The adoption son lost all his rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all the debts being canceled, with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. So this is what adoption means for these people. This is, this is what Paul is trying to communicate that God is doing. That whatever is owed, whatever is broken, whatever is distrustful, whatever family name you might have, that, that goes away. And now you have this new family. Which means this new identity means there's a cancellation of debts. There's a cancellation of what is owed. No matter what that is, what that it looks like, that, that is part of your old family. That goes away you're adopted into something new. You have a new identity. Those debts are no longer counted against you. We, we kind of live in a, a, a debt society, right? There's a lot of debts. Houses, cars, credit cards, student loans, medical bills, 
Um, not, not us so much. Other people in other churches have these debts. And, and we're all kind of striving for this debt-free. I'm on the 300-year uh, plan. We got this, babe. Keep going. Um, the weight of financial debt, we, we, we can feel that, right? It, yeah, it's just kind of present all the time. It, it, it makes decisions for you. You can't even consider all these things because you, you have to pay for these other things that you already have. And it, it's just kind of this weight. Can you imagine if one day someone walked up to you in a coffee shop and, and, and slid a check to you that, that completely wiped out your debt? I might would do a dance. That would be amazing. The, the instant freedom of all of those debtors that I owe, the, the, the mortgage and this, and that, it's just all gone. I'm no longer uh, owned or indebted to any of those. That financial debt, that weight would be gone. But in reality, we have a debt that's much more weighty than that. The debt of sin. The debt that we have because of our brokenness and our depravity. That, that debt is more weighty and more destructive because you and I can do nothing about it. There's no budget plan where we can begin to chisel away and, and no uh, plans that we can adjust within our living that, that means debt won't grow. It's just there, and there's nothing we can do about it except be adopted, except be adopted by the Father who can pay that. In this new family, there's a cancellation of debts. Further on in, in Romans 8, Paul asks these two rhetorical questions. He says, who will bring charges against those God has chosen? Who then is the one who condemns? These are rhetorical questions because if the king, the God of the universe, has cleared your debts, who, who's going to bring charges against you? When we are adopted into this family, our debts are canceled, and in place of that, we are given a new inheritance. I love the story of, of Jack that I got to share with you guys today. I, I can't imagine what his life would have been had he not been adopted. What his life would have been like if he hadn't had someone who chose him. If he hadn't had someone who said, we're going to open our home to you. To bring you in. The new story that he has given. The love the affection, the nurturing, all these things that little sweet babies like that need is given to him. Nothing he could do to earn that. He didn't talk him into it. They chose him and extended adoption. This, this inheritance is the invitation extended to us. It's at the heart of the gospel that God sent his son, his only son, to come to this place and to be brutally murdered for the payment of our sin so that our debt could be removed and we could be adopted in with a new inheritance. That's what Paul is driving home. This is what he wants the Romans to hear. That's what he wants us to know. This is who God is. This is what he does. And our inheritance now, we are heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. I mean, we're, we're part of the family now. And, and every family, well, they, they do things a certain way. In our family, we, we don't hold on to the guilt and to shame because we know that debt has been canceled. In, in, in our family, we, we own the mission of our Father. The mission that Jesus lived out is what we're called to live out. And, and the implications of that is, is both suffering and glory. 
That just because we're adopted into this family doesn't mean we're removed from the human experience. God has enemies. And as we step into his family and we assume his mission, we inherit that, both the suffering and the glory. The glory being that we know Jesus is going to make all things new. Jesus is going to make all things new. That we get to be a part of that family. So I started this hoping for two things. One, that, that you would clean the implications of adoption in your own life. And two, just a clear picture of God's, uh, his character, his posture towards us, his goodness. And as we hear this, I imagine there's some in the room that, that believe in Jesus, have put confidence in Jesus, have been adopted in, but have, have completely forgotten what that really means. Completely forgotten that, that your father is the kind of father that cancels out debts. And not just technically, not just a little, cancels them out. That there's no need for guilt and shame. Or maybe forgotten that, that you have a father that wants to lead you that cares about your day-to-day life, that cares about the direction that you're going and wants to be present, wants you to know his voice well. There might be some here who feel they're on the outside of this family, who would say, I'm spiritually orphaned. I've not been adopted into this family. Romans 10, two chapters from where we're reading here, uh, Paul addresses this and says, the access to adoption is actually quite simple. We, we believe with our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's the whole process of adoption into his family. And I would say if, if you're here and that's a proclamation you want to make, do a, do a third thing and, and let one of us know so we can celebrate with you. There might be some of us here um, that we're just invited to live more fully into this story. To wear the awareness and the posture that I am a son, I am a daughter of God. All that means. I have an inheritance. I have someone who cancels my debts. I have a place in which I belong through every season of life. We're going to continue in our, our, our worship today. And um, as the band comes up, uh, part of our worship is always the communion table set up here that have bread and they have juice. And we come, and uh, this, is, this is the henchman of the the story of the gospel that that Jesus came and made this adoption process possible for us. And we come and we worship and we remember. And as we come to this table, I I, want to invite you to come with a full awareness of who your father is, that that you're not approaching fearfully or in shame or, or timid, that you're approaching confidently, that he invites you as children to come and worship and celebrate him. Father, thank you for your words. Um, I pray that, that these words that we're reading about adoption in you would be, um, would be deeper and truer uh, than, than maybe we believe them when we come here, if we believe them at all. Um, that, that, that as we come to these tables, as we come to worship you and to, to take our right as sons and daughters in your family, um, that we would come with confidence, that we wouldn't be held uh, back in, in, in any sense of shame or fear or guilt, but to come confidently and 